Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. I have always enjoyed planting a new tree. I like to watch its growth and its development over the years. But when I planted all of those trees all those years ago, there was something that never once crossed my mind while I was digging those holes and getting the dirt on my body and sticking that tree in the ground, is that someday you have to prune those trees. And not just one time, but like over and over and over. 20 trees. Well, this was a, this was a tree trimming year for me. This is why this is big in my mind, I think. Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of work to do that if you've ever done some tree trimming. It's, it's a bunch of work, and you've got to cut it up little so the trash guy will take it. Um, it takes a lot of time to do it. it but I, I know that it's good for the tree, and, and proper pruning helps the, the tree be properly productive, aesthetically pleasing. But I, I've always had this sense that I ought to be apologizing to the trees when I'm, when I'm doing what I'm doing, when I'm pruning them, ju- just in case the process is painful to them. I, I mean, I bet my neighbors just love it when I'm out in my front yard, you know, they're going, oh, there's crazy old Mike talking to his trees, telling them how sorry he is for cutting their branches, you know. Well, the, the metaphor that, that Jesus is using in John's gospel is, is about a grapevine, but, but the pruning principles are pretty much the same as with trees. You know, pruning is a sort of a cleansing act where these, these dead and unnecessary branches are, are removed from the plant. Uh, In fact, the Greek word that's used here in John's gospel for prune is really the same basic word as the word cleanse. Sort of makes the link between prunes and what they do. (laughs) If you think about it, just saying, don't write that down or don't tweet it or anything. It's not worth, that was not worth remembering. Um, Yeah, so, but, but pruning has to be done with great care. And Jesus' words about, about the vine and its, and its fruit are really heavy with, with significance. In, in the Old Testament, it is Israel that is characterized as a vine. And uh, we see this in the prayer of Psalm 80, where it says, you brought, God, a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. And now Jesus captures that metaphor and he applies it to himself, that that in him, true Israel, the, the Israel of God's intention is to be seen. And it is God the Father who is the source of the vine's life And God, like a vine grower, remains attentive to the vine so that three very important things happen. Cleansing, abiding, and bearing fruit, bearing fruit. So Jesus tells his disciples that they have already been cleansed, they've already been pruned in a sense, and that this has come about because of the word that he has spoken to them. Now, when you look back in all of the gospels and you see what Jesus spoke to them. There's a lot of words that Jesus spoke to them. Um, but you realize that his words to them pruned away a lot of dead stuff, mostly of, of a religious nature. And uh, what was pruned away were things like legalism and hypocrisy 
rebellion, distorted views about God. And what left them, that left them with a new and robust understanding of God's desires for the world and for the role that they had to play in God's mission in the world. And then keeping the whole metaphor of the vine alive, Jesus says that his followers cannot bear fruit unless they abide in him. Now, the word abide, I mean, we don't use it all that often anymore, really. Uh, I mean, if we do, we're, we're probably going to say something like, like we're going to cooperate with something, like I, I will abide by the decisions made by my employer, as an example. Uh, older generations might have used the word to indicate their, their level of tolerance for something, like I cannot abide this hot weather, or I cannot abide those long-haired hippies and their rock and roll music, you know? <laughs> a lot of non-abiding that comes in that category. But, but in Scripture, the word usually means to remain or to live. Uh, and, and you see this in various Bible translations. So sometimes those words are substituted for abide. But I really like the word abide because it captures the idea of remaining as well as living and being present. It offers us really a lot more than simply remaining in what we think is proper religious thinking. It suggests a relational connection with Christ that brings life. Jesus becomes the place where we live, the abode where life is to be found. And bearing fruit is what comes from that abiding. Now, I am very much aware, we had a conversation about this a couple weeks ago, um, I'm aware that many of us have been taught over the years that bearing fruit in the Christian life is about producing certain things. It's about, you know, leading people to Christ. It's about doing a lot of good things in the world and, and, and so on. And while those are important things and, and fine things, framing Jesus' words about bearing fruit in terms of what we produce misses a very important point. The point is remaining, living, abiding in the vine, in Jesus himself. The branch doesn't produce fruit because it is something independent, disconnected from the vine and is determined somehow on its own to create apples or oranges or, or because it has a production quota assigned to it. It produces fruit because it remains in the vine. It produces fruit because that is just what a healthy, nourished branch does. Well, in John's letter, 1 John, that we read this morning, he addresses this idea of abiding by describing three ways by which we know that we abide in Christ. He says that we know that we abide in Jesus because God has given us his spirit. God's very presence resides within us. And when we receive his spirit, we know our true home. We know our abode. And we know that we abide in him when we can speak out our conviction that Jesus is the son of God, which is a bold declaration that can come only from people in whom God's spirit resides. And we know that we abide in Jesus because... We have come to believe in his love for us, which is demonstrated among us as we love one another. 
You know, saying that we love one another is, um, is a good thing. Um, but doing it's not all that easy all the time, is it? Uh, you know, I mean, we come together to worship and to sing and to pass the peace, to share the Lord's Supper, and we can feel comfortable with the love that we believe that we share together. That is, until someone makes us mad or offends us or hurts our feelings or whatever, then all bets are off. I mean, let, let's face it, everybody, where we're two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, somebody is bound to get upset. It's just how it is. But abiding in Jesus, letting him fill the spaces of our lives doesn't allow other forces to have their way with us. Uh, Darren led us in a song to that effect. You know, May your voice be louder than all the others. That is an incredibly profound song to sing. Let your voice be louder than all the others. Because abiding in Jesus does not allow other forces to have their way with us. These are forces that, that hinder our ability to love one another. And there are plenty of those forces all around us all the time. For example, I mean, all over the world, including here in the U.S., it's, it's become very easy to believe that in order to stand for what you think is right, especially if it's in terms of politics, then you have to view half the people in your country, this is certainly true here, half the people in your country as your opponents, maybe even as your enemies. Uh, and if they're your enemies, they're, you're free to hate them. That's what you do with an enemy, right? That's what enemies are for. Um, and you especially need to hate their political leaders. Really, you really got to hate them. That's your job. Partisanship in our nation is split very close to even when you look at some of the information. And, and, uh, and even these days, our, our political enemies are, are not just the politicians that we don't prefer, but it's also the folks who voted for them, you know, including Aunt Sally and Grandma and, you know, whoever in your life that doesn't see things the way that you see them. Um, and so the way that we now are told that we are to view those people is as foes that must be defeated or even destroyed in some cases. I mean, that is a powerful voice in our, in our world today. And I got to tell you something. That kind of thinking has no place in the worshiping community of Jesus. It has no place in the body of Christ. No place at all. The call to love is not always an easy call. We can carry all kinds of emotional baggage that just sort of stacks up like a, like a wall and it obstructs our ability to, to see the people who upset us and we, and we don't see them as fellow human beings, ones made in the image of God, even ones beloved by God. And they are beloved by God even when they drive us crazy. And I take comfort in that. I'm glad I am beloved of God even when I drive you crazy. Well, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. You know, a friend of mine says, if you see me as your enemy, then you are blessed because Jesus commands me to love you. I am the best enemy that you could ever have. Well, because we abide in the vine, that is Jesus, the one in whom God's love has been supremely revealed, the, the natural fruit that we produce is love. And we start that by demonstrating love for one another in the worshiping community, in the church, right here. We begin there. Abiding in Christ cannot be reduced and limited to only just a state of personal spirituality. And while our personal spirituality is incredibly important, abiding in Christ is expressed and demonstrated in the community of God's people. Otherwise, where in the world would love one another even happen if not in the community of Christ? A few years ago, I had a, uh, a student who uh, her ex-husband had just very suddenly died. And uh, although he had left his wife for another woman several years earlier, the, the woman who was my student still grieved this loss very, very deeply. She, grieved the loss, she was still grieving the loss of her marriage. She says, he, he wasn't just my husband, he was my best friend. I lost all of that and then he died. And uh, so now she was also grieving the death of that one that she still loved. It was a double loss for her. But when she inquired about attending the memorial service, she was refused. And the new wife said, no, you are, you are banned. You cannot come to the service. And so that just piled pain on pain for her. But a local church where it, my student had some connection, I think she'd done some work for them. It wasn't even her home church. They heard about this and they reached out to her and they held a private memorial service just for her, where she could come and they would gather around her in love and support and care. They would even share her grief and they would give her space to process the loss. It was a space characterized by love. And you know, that kind of experience might cause someone perhaps to stand on the outside and view such a thing to see this act of care and say, along with one of our early church fathers, see how the Christians love one another. If, if we are opening ourselves to the cleansing work of God's spirit, and if we are living, that is abiding in Christ and allowing him to fill all the spaces of our lives, then the natural fruit that is love will be made evident in us and among us. It needs to be both of those things, doesn't it? It needs to be in us, but it needs to be among us. The love that we demonstrate for one another is 
and expression of what God is doing in our personal lives. And that love cannot be contained. It, it is demonstrated among us, but it also pours out into the world around us. What if everybody who follows Jesus in the whole wide world, including us, what if all of us together, we all changed the way that we looked at other people? And instead of falling into that familiar pl plan of categorizing them by their political preference, their, their religious label, by their sexuality, by their ethnicity, or, or by anything else, that the place we began with them, the place that we started with them is not in their category, but rather as fellow humans made in the image of God and beloved by him. I wonder what would change if we all did that. I mean, we might still have disagreements with them about all kinds of things, and that's okay. But is it possible that those disagreements could be characterized by love, framed by the love of God? Well, I, I think this is all part of the work of cleansing that God desires to do in our lives. In laying down our lives for one another, as we talked about last week, we open ourselves up to God's grace and to his careful work of pruning the things that weigh us down, the things that really do need to be removed from our lives. And it often hurts, this process of pruning, because even the problematic areas of our lives can become very familiar to us. Uh, they can even become ways that we understand our identities. And, and having those things removed just upsets the status quo of our lives. But, but that's how growth and change happens for us. The writer Flannery O'Connor once said, grace changes us, and the change is painful. But it's true, isn't it? You would think that pruning and cleansing, uh, uh, this process that results in the fruit of loving one another, something that's a gift of God's grace, would be nothing but just joyous and wonderful. And there certainly is joy in, in learning to love and allowing yourself to be loved, but in order to do that, we've got to let God remove a whole lot of dead wood that separates us from one another. And that removal process just might hurt a little bit. But what's on the other side of that pruning work? It's a shared life of love that allows us to accept, receive God's love for us and embrace one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, not allowing any other characterization to have priority in our relationships. Flannery O'Connor was correct, I think, when, when she said that Grace changes us. And, and yes, change can be painful. But it comes to us as a gift of God's grace, a, a gift that he brings to us right now, in this very moment. And so let's pray together. God, our Father, we, we come before you as your people right now and we confess and you know that our hands are not empty. We've just brought all of our baggage with us in this very moment in time, each and every one of us. 
And we ask, Lord, by your grace that you will begin the pruning process in each one of our lives and in our life as a shared people, that we would trust ourselves to your gracious touch. We would trust ourselves to your spirit that we might be changed and that the change would come in the love and care of your hand. And so we pause in this moment, Lord, and we say yes to you and we open our hearts to you and say, come Lord and do your work within us and among us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.